like hamburgers. Or as we say in the UK, I like I like beef burgers. Because they're made of beef and they're not made of ham, but here we are in North America. So I like hamburgers. And I know that they're not great for me, but I like them. I like how they feel. I like how they test, how they taste. I like, you know, the texture and the juxtaposition of meat and cheese some bacon maybe, and the bread and the lettuce and the tomato and the sauce, it's just all there in this magical thing. It's, it's incredible. And, and I'm also glad that I work where I work now, that I live right, right next to where I work. Because if I had to drive into work, I'm pretty sure most nights on the way home from work that I'd see these big fast food, si fast food signs and the billboards and I'd most likely stop on the way home most nights and I'd grab myself, you know, a cheeky little 950 calorie hamburger because those posters make the burgers look super tempting. Now this thing, thing of temptation, it's a real thing. And in these times of upheaval and uh, where things don't make sense, where we're out of our usual rhythms for many of us, we should expect that we are tempted not to eat a burger necessarily, but, but maybe tempted to lose hope or to give in to fear or to fall into sin. You see, some of us are working like we've never worked before. And so we're tired, we're exhausted, and being tired is, is a breeding ground for temptation and sin. And some of us are frankly maybe underworked. We've been laid off, we're, and so we're not used to needing to fill our time. And being bored is a breeding ground for temptation and sin. So both being tired from overwork and being bored from underwork are warning signs that we have to pay attention to now. We're all trying to cope, right? And unfortunately, some of those things that we try to, that we use to try to get back some measure of control over our lives, they're not really good. And some are actually downright sinful. And once they're rooted in us as habits, as coping mechanisms, it's really hard for us to get rid of them. Now, I wonder for you uh, what things um, or thing, what, what thing or things are you, to, are, are you maybe tempted to reach for now to fill that hole inside? What are you tempted to watch or engage with in your tiredness or, or in your boredom? Because these actions or habits will later lead to sin and guilt and regret. So let's turn to James chapter 1 verse 12 through 16 for some insight as to what temptation is, where temptation comes from, and how we can combat it. Now, as you may recognize already, this isn't our usual Palm Sunday message because I'm still preaching through the 70-day Bible reading challenge. But I did preach on uh, Jesus riding into, into Jerusalem back on March the 9th uh, when I preached on Luke chapter 19, so feel free later to go back um, and uh, listen to it on our website, nogrowshow.ca. That's K-N-O-W, nogrowshow.ca. Now, now as you're turning to James chapter 1, verse, verse 12, let me tell you a little bit about James. Now, James was Jesus's little brother, so you can imagine being raised in Jesus's shadow, right? Lots of pressure, yeah, if you're the middle child there. But he seems to have done 
quite well for himself because he ends up being the leader of the church right in Jerusalem, which is not too shabby. Now, James is one of those people who likes to call a spade a spade, who doesn't really mess around. And so sometimes when we're talking about temptation and sin, uh, we need someone just to tell it to us straight. And, uh, and James is that person. Now, hopefully you found your way to James chapter 1, verse number 12. Um, and yeah, uh, l- let me just say this. Uh, we've, we've all played this game, right? Um, called Two Truths and a Lie. Well, this morning we're going to play that game. Now, sometimes in that game, it's hard to tell which is the lie and which are the truths, but not this morning. I will make it 100% clear what is the lie and what are the two truths. So let's start with the lie in James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the lie here is that God is the source of... uh, 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 of temptation. Now, if you're anything like me, we like to blame others for our failures and our shortcomings, right? Yeah, I may have punched my brother or sister, but only because they said something mean to me first, right? It's their fault. And we can even lay the blame at God's feet. We can blame him for the family that we're in or the circumstances that we find ourselves in or because he didn't stop us from doing something stupid or sinful. We could even say, you made me this way, God. It's your fault. But James is clear. He says, when, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So simply put, God sees no attraction in what is evil. He doesn't look at evil and go, hmm, oh, maybe I should, uh, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, okay, I better not, because because for us for for because if God is tempted with evil, it's a bit like me me being tempted with a pie made of poo, right? Meaning it's not very hard for God to say to evil, thanks but no thanks. It's really easy because evil is everything that God is not. It's everything he's against. So he would never say yes to what is evil. And it's, and, and it's not even that he chooses not to. It's that it's not even an option for him. It's, it's like if, if, if someone came to you and said to you, that Dan, he's making me fly. You would know it's a lie, right? Why? Because I cannot cause others to fly. Neither can I fly myself. So it's a lie if someone comes to you and says, Dan is making me fly. And it therefore makes sense that God doesn't tempt us with evil either. And so the lie is that God is the source of, of temptation. Oh, so sorry, that God is not, sorry, the lie is that God is the source of, of temptation because of course God is not the source of temptation. So where does temptation come from? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the first truth, remember we've had one lie. Now this is the first truth. And the first truth is this, that temptation to sin comes from within. Temptation to sin comes from within. It's us. 
We're the ones at fault. It's our wrongful wants and our lusts and our wishes. It's our internal selves. It's our old nature, as the Bible puts it. And so, so, so winning over sin starts with owning up that we are the problem. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming others or circumstances. It's you. It's me. Now, we need to be very clear here here is that temptation to sin is not sin itself just like seeing a poster of a 950 calorie burger is not the burger itself i see the poster and i can choose to go in and lay down my money and walk away with a fat fat burger or i can just keep walking and it's like that was sin you see temptation is like the poster and when my desire sees that temptation it goes hey dan let's go check this out it looks really good right and if i'm not not if i'm not super careful i can follow my desire right into that sin whether it's jealousy or anger or lust or misspending money or secret websites or wanting something that's not mine and i think i have a hunch that there's a lot of temptation going on at the moment there's there's a lot of, of of temptation to sin now there's this band i used to listen to in the 1990s called called skunk and Nancy, and uh, and the singer skin sang this she said just because it feels good it doesn't make it right now last week i got i got angry i was doing some sort of um work with the girls you know doing some some kind of school work or school-ish work and i got frustrated and in my anger i slammed my hand there on the table and then i left the house angry i was fuming and i'm really embarrassed to share this with you because in my anger i sinned and then i came back later shamefaced and i apologized and my daughters in their grace they forgave me now i learnt really clearly in that moment what happens when i don't watch the warning signs friends some of us we are tired and some of us we are bored and we only have each other to hang out with and we don't know when this will end and so we need to be really proactive not to listen to the siren voice of temptation because if we don't resist, then James says in verse 15 that, that, that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Which is a horrible image, isn't it? But it's, it's a powerful image because it's a horrible image. Our sinful desire makes a baby of sin. And then our sin has a baby, little baby death. And it's not a cute baby it's an ugly baby so we need to recognize these warning signs and those things that 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 maybe lure us in those those uh, those temptations and we need to learn to stop this downward spiral right at the beginning but how do we do that right is it by saying i'm going to try harder next time listen when are you the most serious about not giving into temptation when is that moment it's just after 
you gave in, right? Because because that person whose stomach is full of a burger, uh, full of a burger, who has grease still dripping down their chin, who feels the shame of of having failed, that's the person who says, "I'm never going to do that again. Never going to do it again," until they do it again. And it's the same with anger and with lust, and with jealousy, and with fear with spending too much we all feel bad about doing it we've let god down and our families down and ourselves down and so we promise you know lord that's the last time i will ever do that i promise i promise but we know that's not enough we know that never works and that next week or you know next morning we will be right in the same place again so let's say that i'm struggling with eating right eating way too much and every day I drive past the same fast food place and the burger posters there and it looks juicy and yummy and sumptuous. And sure, I know that that burger is full of tons, tons of calories um, and I will regret it later, but I've had a tough day. And so I say to myself, okay, Dan, you've earned this. No one needs to know. And sure, I know eventually it'll lead to a heart attack, but man, it looks so good. It's what I need right now. Now, now there's nothing to physically stop me driving by the drive through window and asking for it, right? Which is sin. But is there anything I can do to make it less likely that I will give in to the temptation in the first place? Sure, there are two things I can do. Firstly, I can make sure that I'm not hungry when I drive past the fast food joint. And secondly, I can make sure that I have something yummy to look forward to when I get home, something that's yummy and healthy. And friends, it's the same with, with all of our temptations. If I'm already full or satisfied or happy, then I don't need that bad thing to meet those needs within me. And if I know I have something to look forward to at the end of my journey, then it's easy for me to resist the urge to sin. And we have that something only it's not a something, it's a he. His name is Jesus. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not sh change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Two truths and a lie. Lie, the lie is that God is the source of temptation to sin. The first truth is that temptation to sin comes from within. And the second truth is that God is the source of all good things. Amen. Now, why does James say in verse 12, not to be deceived, not to be fooled, not to be taken in. Why? Because we are easily deceived, right? We are, we are fooled into thinking that God is the source of our temptation to sin, that it's not our fault, but God is not the source, but he is our way out of temptation. Hear me, every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father. He loves you. Like Nathan said, 
You know, a couple of weeks ago, he's throwing out all these wonderful blessings. He's showering them, them down on us. Even now, even in this season, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's never changing. He's a permanent fixture of goodness and love and every good gift. So think of all the good things in your life that you are grateful for. They're from him. And the best one of all is that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, as, as verse 12 tells us. And that's what many of us uh, have experienced. We, we heard the gospel of truth that God saw us in our sin and our brokenness and that he came in the person of Jesus to rescue us and to lift us into life. And we believed this word of truth. And since that moment that we've been born into God's family, we have new holiness and new power and new values and new hope. Since that moment that we've been born into God's family, we have new holiness, new power, new values and new hope. And so as we remember and relive this incredible, astounding truth that God gave birth to us, verse 15, it is this that empowers us to stop giving birth to sin, verse 18. So our principle today is, is this, knowing that temptation to sin, A, comes from within and B, not, not from God, and C, that God is the source of all good things. This enables us to persevere through temptation. In other words, fill up with the best to say no to the rest. Verse, verse, verse 12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so we're told what, what, what this prize is, this thing that we're aiming towards that's, that's, that's there at the end, this, this, this hope is the crown of life. And so the question is, as you look at this verse, and I'd, you know, and I'd invite you to look at it with me, um, so... What we need to ask ourselves is, is the crown of life in the middle of the verse granted to the one who perseveres at, uh, at, under trial, which is mentioned at the start of the verse, or is it granted to the one who loves God, mentioned at the end of the verse? Who gets the crown of life? Is it the, is it the persevering one or is it the loving one? Is spiritual success in this life measured by, by perseverance, by keeping on going when the going gets tough? Or is it measured by love, by having your heart changed by God? Well, the answer, of course, is yes and yes. Okay, think of a, think of a, a long-distance runner. Do they win first place because they keep on going when the going gets tough? Or because they're picturing the pride in their family's faces as they... Imagine them crossing that line at the end of the race. When they hit that, that wall at mile marker 19 and everything within them wants to sit down and quit. When they are so tired, when their muscles are jelly and maybe they've, maybe they peed themselves even. What will, what will help them to, to keep on going towards that, that, that finish line? Is it steadfastness or is it love? And the answer, is it steadfastness and love? It's, it's the perseverance that makes them a winner and love makes them a winner. In fact, it's the love for their family and friends that enables them to persevere under trial. 
And so the same is for us. The, the level or the extent to which we experience love and affection for our Heavenly Father is the extent to which we will be able to turn away from evil longings, evil desires. Right? How do you know if your internet is running at the speed that you are paying for? Well, you, well, well, well you test it with an internet speed test. How do you know, ladies, if you are pregnant? Use a pregnancy test, right? How do you know if you have the real article of faith? How do you know if what you're experiencing right now is real? Well, according to the scripture we're reading, it passes a test. It, it passes a test. Now I'm, now, I'm not saying that, that, that you should seek out temptation. Absolutely not. You know, the Bible says that we are to flee youthful lusts. We need to get out of there. But we will experience trials from outside and temptations from inside. And as we face these trials in the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the good gifts of God, our bellies full, our spiritual bellies full, we will discover a joy that says, hang on a minute, God's changing me. I'm not who I used to be. I can resist where I used to give in. Friends, we live in a world that is in the market for a reason, for hope at this moment. In these times, we have a unique opportunity to show off the reliability and the durability of God's love in us through trial. Amen. And so I would say this to you, you should consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James chapter one, verse two. Maybe you're at mile one of your spiritual life. You're new to this. The old life and the new life are fighting out inside you. And you see that poster of temptation over there. Well, keep on going in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you've, you've hit that wall at mile, mile marker number 20. Well, keep on going in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you've not even started your spiritual race yet, in which case I ask you to trust in Jesus as the solution to your sin problem. This is the moment when you start running the race with Jesus right beside you and the Holy Spirit inside you. Friends, when God is your sufficiency, when you embrace this truth that every good gift comes from him, when you know that he doesn't change, when you know that God loves you and is for you and is walking with you through trials and temptations, this gives you the power to flee the monster of temptation that comes from within. And think about it. In that moment that you're fleeing temptation, you are, you are running towards your father, it's a race. And at the end of it, you gain this, this crown of life, this laurel wreath that, that, the, that the early Olympians wore. That moment when you reach the end of your life and you're mature and complete, not lacking anything, having learned to have joy in the midst of, of trials, ready to meet your maker at the end of your finish line. Let me close with 1 Corinthians 9. 
Do you not know that in, that, it, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who, who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it so that they can get a, a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will live forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I, I do not fight like a boxer who's beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not, will not be disqualified for the prize. Friends, fill up with the best in order to say no to the rest. Mm -hmm.